Our reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came, and, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if that's you, I've just got one word for you, and that is sorry. I just want to follow up Dan's question about the greatest sports personality of the century, Muhammad Ali. What was his self-proclaimed boast? I am the greatest, yes. And in the year 2000, Life magazine shortlisted the 100 greatest people from the last 1,000 years. There were 17 statesmen, 10 military leaders, 10 inventors, 7 philosophers, 7 explorers, 7 writers, 5 artists, 5 gold rings, no, four theologians, four theologians, that's impressive, four composers, and two entertainers. Two entertainers, amongst whom was Walt Disney. But who was their number one person of the millennium? The citation read, as a result of his work, so there's a clue, 
We are entering the third millennium bathed in light, not clothed in darkness. Any ideas? Thomas Edison, absolutely right. And what did he invent? The light bulb, yes. So he was their greatest person of the millennium. And of whom did Jesus say, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than he? I'm so glad you were paying attention. Well done. The greatest sportsman, Muhammad Ali, the greatest inventor, Thomas Edison, the greatest prophet, John the Baptist. But why did Jesus call John the greatest? And why did Jesus then say, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he? What makes greatness? What did the 100 in Life magazine's list have in common? And I think the one word that probably unites them all is the word achievement. But what constitutes greatness in the kingdom of God? What is it that made John the Baptist the greatest in the eyes of Jesus? Is he the greatest because he was prophesied about? Isaiah, Malachi, the angel Gabriel, they all pointed to John the Baptist. And it points to somebody important. But that's not why he's the greatest. Is he the greatest because he's the figurative return of Elijah? Because the Old Testament closes with the promise of the return of Elijah. But in verse 14, Jesus said, he is the Elijah who was to come. So although the return of Elijah was significant, to be the greatest, John had to be greater than Elijah. Was he the greatest in faith? Well, there is a case for that. But he's not listed in Hebrews chapter 11 amongst the heroes of faith. There's not even a whisper. And anyway, Jesus says that the least in the kingdom are greater than John. So why is John called the greatest? Not because he's prophesied about, not because he's the returning Elijah, and not because of his faith. But, and here it is, it's because John uniquely introduces Jesus. John introduces Jesus. John is the first one to say, behold the Lamb of God. He's calling to people. He is introducing Jesus. He's pointing him out in the crowd. He's revealing who he is. He's calling people to take notice. He's calling to people to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. John has the privilege of introducing Jesus. No other prophet in all of history had done that. No other prophet could point and say, this is the Messiah. John was the forerunner, the herald, the one to announce the Messiah, to introduce Jesus. The prophets had seen glimpses. They'd had indications of what was in store. It's like pieces of a jigsaw, but they couldn't see the big picture. Listen to 1 Peter 1. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances 
to which the Spirit in Christ was pointing them. They're looking, but they can't see. Salvation is promised, but it's hidden. It's a mystery. And the prophets are straining, straining to see over the horizon, but it's just out of sight. No one knew who it was. No one knew when it would happen. And two weeks ago, Alison was talking, wasn't she, about the second coming of Christ. And it's the same kind of thing. We know it will happen, but the details are a bit sketchy. The idea is clear, but the detail is not. And so it was for the prophets, the Messiah was hidden. But now he is revealed. Now John declares, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a mystery no more. It's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. This is the one come to save. God is now with us, Isaiah's Emmanuel. Some had been given a little glimpse. Simeon, Anna, Elizabeth, Mary. But John is the one who introduces the Messiah. Introductions are important. Introductions make people known. Introductions make the unknown known. Introductions are the beginning, perhaps the beginning of a lifelong relationship. When I was 18, planning to go to university in Swansea, the relation of some friends said to me, oh, Nigel, one of the girls from our church youth group is at Swansea University. Her name is Belinda. You must look out for her. I don't need to tell you the rest, do I? (laughs) But both Belinda and I had rather forgotten that introduction until one Saturday evening, the Christian Union went 10-pin bowling in Llanethly. Who says romance is dead? (laughs) And for the very first time, we got talking. Although we'd never met, we realized we'd been introduced. We started to talk about things that we had in common. And bizarrely, even though we lived 100 miles apart, as teenagers, we realized that we had both been babysitters for the same family of children, one of whom you might have seen on the BBC this week, because he's Gideon Beale, the BBC's defense correspondent. Anyway, we had been introduced, pointed out, connections made, And the rest, as they say, is history. But if John is the greatest because he introduces Jesus, why does Jesus then say, whoever is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he? Doesn't that stop you in your tracks? Doesn't it make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, a shiver down your spine? Because I reckon we qualify. We qualify as being the least in the kingdom of God. So you are greater than John the Baptist. Greater than the one who was prophesied about. Greater than the one who baptized Jesus. You are greater than the one who occupies a great swathe of the beginning of John's gospel. Yes, you are greater.
Doesn't that take some head scratching? I guess you can't work it out. And it's not because you are more courageous than John. And it's not because your life is holier than John's. And it's not because your faith is stronger than John's. No, the reason that you are greater than John is exactly the same reason that John was greater than all who went before. Are you getting the picture? Because you have a greater vantage point from which to introduce Jesus than John did. You see and know things that John could never see and never know. John never saw the cross. John never saw God's substitutionary sacrifice for sin. John never celebrated the bread and the wine, the broken body and blood of Christ. John never saw the empty tomb, the risen Christ, resurrected, victorious, ascended. John never experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit, the presence, the power, the seal of God. John never saw the church, the kingdom of the firstborn, called from every tribe and tongue and nation. Great though John was, you have an infinitely greater knowledge and an infinitely greater experience of what it means to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And today, as we stand on the cusp of eternity, we can look back at the work of the gospel. As God has called his people, his church, his bride, over 2,000 years, we can see the testimony to God's faithfulness to his people. And we can look back on our personal, individual, unique calling, a calling which transformed us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ, transformed us from being under judgment to being a child of God. And on this cusp of eternity, not only do we look back, but we can look forward. We can look forward to, with certainty to Christ's return, certain that he will come and take his church to be with him, certain that he will destroy all that is not holy, certain of our home in heaven, certain that we will reign with him, enjoy his presence, know his comfort in a place with no war, no pain, no sorrow, just joy in his presence. In times of uncertainty, we have a certainty in Christ. We have an anchor in these times as the signs of his return is ever clearer and more imminent. Some of us may celebrate next Christmas in the personal presence of Jesus. Maybe all of us will. Last night, Belinda said she was dreaming of my funeral. Who knows? I hope Roger was playing the organ. Eternity is only a heartbeat away. This morning, you have a certainty. You have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, your guarantee of eternal life in Christ, in you. In fact, you have eternal life right now. And John knew little of this. 
John even had to send his disciples to Jesus, which we read in verse 3, to check that he had got it right. But we have revelation. We have certainty. We have the Holy Spirit assuring us of God's loving plans. And what did John do with the revelation he had? He pointed to Jesus. And what are we called to do with the revelation we have? Point to Jesus. So exactly what does that mean? What does pointing to Jesus mean? Now, Nigel, you're not going to tell me I've got to go and be an evangelist, are you? No, I'm not. But I am going to let Galatians 2 and verse 20 help us. Because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And there's the clue. Christ lives in me. To point to Jesus is to let people see the life of Christ in me. Christ lives in me. Our life is no longer ours. It's a life lived out through Christ. It's a life in which Christ is introduced. It's a life that holds tightly to those two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. That's where the life of Christ develops. That's where people are introduced to him. Christ is seen as you live out his life. I love it when Ruth Spencer preaches because she always quotes old songs. And here's an old Salvation Army song about the life of Christ lived out through you. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. You point to Jesus as his life is lived out through you. And in Jesus' eyes, that's greatness. So what might life in Christ look like for you this week? You might point to Jesus as you help pack cap hampers tomorrow here. You might point to Jesus as you hold out an olive branch to heal a family rift. You might point to Jesus by inviting a neighbour in need round for a cup of tea. You might point to Jesus by putting the needs of someone else above your own needs. What in your life this week will show the life of Christ in you that those who need to see might be introduced to him? Let's pray together.
Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Father, transform my heart so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Father, in the decisions I make this week, may the life of Jesus be evident to those who see that I may fulfill your calling of greatness as I introduce Jesus. For his glory I pray. Amen.